You're listening to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, recorded July 10th, 2019, episode 49, Tabletop 5.0. We talk five-player games and review five games, as well as getting ready for QCC. Hello, and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, episode 49, Tabletop 5.0, featuring five-player games. From Hamilton, Ontario, I'm Sean Stevens, and here with me, live from Windsor, Ontario, the Tabletop Bellhop himself, Moti. I am the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your game and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. Let me put my years of game playing, event organizing, and game night hosting to use for you. I'd like to say hi to everyone in the lobby here on Twitch. We start here live for Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop and continue on even after the double bell ends the show for, uh, for more off-the-books after show. For those of you who aren't here live, you can listen in to that after show audio as well as audio from the front desk, our pre-show banter, by backing our Patreon. As a thanks for supporting us, you also get other cool stuff, like access to a private Discord channel where you can chat with us and other fans of the show, pre-production show notes, behind-the-scene blog posts, and sometimes more. Now tonight we're answering a question looking for non-filler games for five players exactly. I'm going to give you my first thoughts on a bunch of games after that, many of which I picked up at Origin. So these are a bunch of uh, new-to-me games. Uh, these are going to include Zentico, Horizons, King of the Dice, Raiders of the North Sea, and Sorcerer. We love interacting with our listeners and viewers. Each week, we like to highlight some of our interactions with you fine folks. We'll share some feedback we've received, comments on our content, maybe some gaming discussions we've been part of on social media. We want to share what people are saying, whether that's positive or negative. We get better with your comments and suggestions, and if you'd like to let us know something about the show, send your feedback to mo at tabletopbellhop.com and or sean at tabletopbellhop.com, that's S-E-A-N. Hi, you can also hit us up on social media, where we can be found everywhere as tabletopbellhop, one word. Now, up first, I've got a comment from Brian Van Beek about us dropping our weekly Gloomhaven update from the podcast. Uh, Brian also has some other good things to say as well. Just wanted to throw this out there. I enjoyed the Gloomhaven updates on the show. I'm playing through it with my wife and kids, and it's fun to hear what others are saying as they play through it. So if I had a vote, it would be to continue it in your episodes. Also, thank you for saying the game name at the end of each segment. I hate other shows that don't do that, and I end up rewinding, especially if it's a long discussion and they only see the actual game name at the very beginning. Anyway, thanks for the great content. Well, thanks, Brian. We do try to remember to always repeat the name of the game. For those of you in the chat room, if you do catch us forgetting to do that, please point it out. Yeah, thank you. Regarding Gloomhaven, that's one uh, one person who wants it back in. So far, the people who wanted it out are a little bit ahead on the poll. But, as always, we need your input as we're trying to make the best show for our listeners. So if you've got thoughts on Gloomhaven one way or the other, feel free to hit us up through one of the many avenues and let us know. Yeah, one of the things I thought of we could do, and I'm not sure about this because it's going to make our overall episode length longer, is to talk about Gloomhaven at the very end of the show and keep that on the podcast. That way, if people are worried about spoilers, which is one of the complaints I received when I was at Origins, is that we're spoiling stuff for people who haven't played Gloomhaven, which is true. But we spoil it right in the middle of the episode, whereas if we spoiled it at the end of the episode, people could just stop listening. That's an option I, I would be willing to consider. We definitely aren't going to throw it back so it's in the episode every single 
single week. I got enough people telling me they didn't like it, but there's something or we can, the other thing we can consider is putting it in once a month or something, do a monthly Gloomhaven update as part of, say, Tabletop Gaming Weekly. But what we want to know is this is the first person to tell us they miss it. If there are more of you out there, please let us know. If it's about an equal field, I'm happily to put it, it back in the show at least sometimes. All right, now we got some comments about last week's casual game suggestions from Go Joe Swick on our Discord server. Regarding Fly Casual, my suggestions, Quarriers, Roleplayer, Alhambra, the card game, Lovecraft Letter, and Suro. I'm going to disagree with your recommendation of Zombie Panic. Compared to Castle Panic, it's a much heavier game, at least in my experience. Well, thanks, Joe. A couple things here. So first off, this comment was on our Tabletop Bellhop Discord channel on, uh, on our Discord and it branched into a bit of a discussion, especially about how suitable role player is for new players. Now, you can get access to that channel by supporting our Patreon at patreon.com slash tabletopbellhop. Now, second, I wanted to point out for Joe's sake or anyone listening to this, it wasn't Sean and I that actually recommended Zombie Panic, which is actually the names are on there. It's actually Dead Panic. It wasn't them. It was someone who was in the, the chat room who mentioned it. And I personally haven't played it, so I can't tell you. But someone else did bring up Star Trek Panic, and this sounds like Star Trek Panic in the same way, because for Star Trek Panic, it adds so much more stuff to the basic version of Castle Panic that I just don't think it's a great casual game or game for new gamers. And it sounds like Joe seems to think the same deal with Dead Panic. All right. Well, we've got one more comment on our casual game episode from Andrew Dacey. Hey, Mo, listening to your casual game episode, and I wanted to chime in that my group often use Suro of the Seas as a warm-up game when we're doing board game events. It takes a lot of players and plays quickly, so it's a great one to get going while we're waiting to see if more players show up. We usually do light, quick games before getting into longer stuff to avoid the issue of having another player show up right after we've gotten a few longer games going. I find it's better than base Suro, and we often use a house rule where a limited related where eliminated players still roll for moving the dragons, which adds a bit of fun when an eliminated player takes out one of the remaining boats. Well, thanks, Andrew. Uh, a couple thoughts. I don't remember if we talked about Soro during the episode or not. The problem I have with the original Soro, which plays eight players, which is great, is it's over, one, it's over too quick, and two, there just aren't enough important decisions to make. You only have three tiles in your hand, and often you're forced to kill yourself. Uh, it just doesn't feel like your fate's in your own hands. It just feels like the game almost plays itself. Now, what I do like Soro for is if I have a group or a gaming event with multiple groups. So there's multiple tables playing. I like to have a copy of Soro on hand. So when table one finishes and everyone else is almost done, but not quite done, and everyone wants to swap up and play with different people, they can go kill 10, 15 minutes playing a couple games of Soro. I personally don't think there's enough meat there to be the game you're there to play. Like I would never be like, let's all get together and play Soro. Now, hey, you're here, you're new. Look, we're just finishing up a game of Terraform Mars. There's a copy of Soro over there. I'll teach you to play in five minutes. That's totally different. To me, that's what Suro is for. Now, Suro of the Seas, I don't personally own. From what I've heard, it increases the randomness of the game, which to me sounds like you have even less options. But I do dig the fact that because the dragons are there, there is something for players who are eliminated to do. That is a nice touch. So maybe it is a better game for that. But overall, I keep Suro for that. Phil gives people something to do while waiting for the real game to happen. Now, before I move on, I uh, just want to thank everyone who comments, emails, replies, and engages with our content. 
We record the show live Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern on Twitch, and we encourage people to drop in and take part in our chat room, The Lobby. Don't forget, if you're here live, we continue the show after the double bell, uh, and an off-the-books after show, as well as some special features that might make it onto YouTube. Uh, we've got a pretty quiet chat room so far this, morning, uh, this evening, so uh, feel free to uh, chat amongst yourselves. All right, well, tonight's another game suggestion episode, so I'm going to be looking to you, the chat room, to let us know what games we missed. Uh, tonight's five-player games. Now, these aren't games that only play five players. They can play 12 players, but games that play really well with five players. Now, there are going to be a couple restrictions on the games we'll be talking to about, and we'll get to that in a minute. We'll be back, stopping by the lobby a few more times later in the show. We're here to answer your game gaming or game night questions. You can send your questions to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or head over to tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop. Uh, social media works too. We're everywhere as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. Well, the best way for questions to get through us is through the website. That way they don't get lost out in the internet. I'm not going to say no to a question asked anywhere. Today, a question sent in through the tabletopbellhop.com blog. Jay Gordon asks, My game group usually consists of five players. It's really hard to find something that plays well with five players and isn't a filler or party game. Do you have any suggestions? Well, thank you, Jay, for the question, and yes, I do. So five players, not a filler game, not a party game. So basically, the reason I chose this topic is this is pretty much the exact opposite of last week. So I thought it was a good follow-up. And I got a really quick, easy answer. We can just end the show here. Just go out, buy Terraforming Mars, get the Prelude expansion. I would say just play the base game, but with five players, the game can get a bit long. So if you start off with Preludes, it'll kickstart everyone's engine and get things going a bit quicker. Well, thanks for listening to the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast. Join us next week. Okay, maybe it's not quite that easy. <laughs> so, obviously, you probably already own Terraforming Mars, right? Like, you must have it. Or, no, it can't be. You don't like Terraforming Mars? No, that can't be true. So, it's not that, obviously. But you already own it, right? So, you want to know new games, new hotness, stuff you can be interested in. So... Obviously, the secret to picking out the perfect game for your game night, as we said multiple times on the show, is knowing your players. And if you don't know your players, you're going to try to find games with near universal appeal. Like, there are a ridiculous number of games that come out every year. Um, like, it's over 9,000. Like, and I'm not trying to make the, the Dragon Ball joke. It really was over 9,000 games that came out in 2018. And trying to pick a game to play is all about filtering down those candidates to get it down so that you have a reasonable sample size to pick from. Now, sadly, one of the best resources, Board Game Geek, doesn't let you sort their games by player number, either recommended or, uh, you know, community decided. Uh, which would have made this whole job a lot easier, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I will say Board Game Geek does have some geek threads that, that list all of the games that are recommended. So I did manage to find that. Um, I'll try to remember to throw a link to that in the show. I that same as you. When I do one of these, I work off the top of my head, then I go back and I read other people's opinions and go, oh, I forgot that one. Or, man, these people are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. My list is better. It's often actually the former, not the latter. Now, thankfully, Jay's given us a good start, right? By only looking at games good with five players, that eliminates a ton of games because there are not a lot of games good with five players. Now, add to that, Jay doesn't care about party games. 
And while a lot of five-player games are party games, we get to throw all those out, and he doesn't want filler games. So there goes your Suro, there goes all your little quick half-hour or less games. So that's a ton more games we can forget about. Now, the thing is, Jay did narrow it down a bit, but not fully, because I have no idea if Jay's group digs cooperative games or if they like competitive games, or if they want to play a big, long campaign game with the same group every week hammering through something. And maybe they like medium weight, you know, like Terraforming Mars is really tough for their group because they're new to gamers. Or maybe they're like food chain magnet masters that want huge long games. So I don't know exactly what Jay's looking for. So I'm going to stick to our usual format, break these five player, non filler, non party game suggestions into a few different categories. All right. Well, while answering for Jay, we hope to answer for as many people as we can. Five players is the perfect player count for a team-based game. Yeah, I loved some team-based games, and one of my favorites is Star Wars Imperial Assault. So by team-based games, sometimes that's going to mean two people on one side, three on the other, but there is a selection of games out there people call one versus many games, where you have someone who plays the adversary versus the rest of the players. That's what Imperial Assault is. This is, in my opinion, the best campaign-based dungeon crawl game out there. And it's also a Star Wars game, which to me is just a win-win because I like dungeon crawl games. And while I love Star Wars, because I'm a child of the 80s and I can't help it while I was born in the 70s, but grew up with Star Wars. It's a big thing. Imperial Assault is one of the tightest, best designed one versus many games I've ever played out of anything that's out there. Um, there what I like in this game, too, is there's no need for the adversary player to play dungeon master it's not one of those games where the adversary is so overpoweringly powerful that it, they could just defeat the enemies at any chance like you often have in a role-playing game situation imperial assault is tight like there feels like every game goes down to the last turn and there's always a chance for either side to win um now this game also includes a skirmish mode now this is no good for your five-player game night but it's kind of cool that besides getting this amazing five-player game, you also get a two-player miniature battle game in the same box. Yeah, no, this is, this game is best at either two or in skirmish or five generally. Yeah. Uh, and it is the 12th rated thematic game on Board Game Geek yeah, across the entire thing. 36th on the entire Board Game Geek list. Yeah. It's rated an 8.1. Uh, it's it's a three It's a three and a quarter wait it's got yeah some, it's not got easy some, got some heft to it but it sounds like these people are looking for something with with some meat to it so i think that's probably a great choice yeah i gotta say it is harder than it seems like you anyone who's watched us live stream gloomhaven has seen us mess up rules man if we were live streaming imperial assault my inbox would be filled to the brim with things we messed up probably the first three to five games the line of sight rules i'm still wonky on uh, it's 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 a fantasy flight game. One of those games that comes with three rule books. You have your your quick start guide, your rule reference guide, and then your rule book. And you're trying to between the three figure out all the rules. But man, it's good. It is a fantastic campaign game and supported still. There are ridiculous, almost insane number of expansions out for this game. Big box expansions with new missions as well as just more dudes you can throw into the game. Now, say you dig that, uh, sorry, that was Star Wars Imperial Assault. Now, say you dig Imperial Assault, the concept and the dungeon crawl thing, but you're not a Star Wars fan somehow, or you're just not into sci-fi. I went through those phases now and then in my life. If you prefer dungeon crawlers, 
what you want is Descent Journeys in the Dark 2nd Edition. Now, this is the game that actually inspired Imperial Assault. There, there are a lot of similarities between the two games. Same company. Basically, Descent Journeys in the Dark is the 1st Edition, and Star Wars Imperial Assault being the 2nd Edition, though actually at that point there's like 3rd and 4th Edition of this. Um, Descent Journeys in the Dark 1st Edition Avoid. It's a big coffin box game. It has that Overlord problem I mentioned earlier where the Overlord's overly powerful and only really works well if they play more as a DM. Um, whereas the second one makes it way better than that. In addition, there's also an app where you can play pure co-op, but as a one-versus-many team game, if you want a fantasy dungeon crawler, there's probably nothing better out there than Descent Journeys in the Dark second edition yeah again this is right up there and it really is just re-implemented by star wars so hard to go wrong now for a final one versus many game fury of dracula now one player plays dracula the other players are the characters from the historic novel trying to track down and defeat the count now this is an old game like 80s game i own the original games workshop edition now since then there have been three other editions released, and each one tweaks the rules in some small ways, all of them making the game shorter, because that was one of the problems with the original game, is it was a bit clunky, and it's overstayed its welcome. Now, the latest edition is from WizKids, and i got to say it's the best-looking one yet, and it even comes with pre-painted miniatures. This is the Gamer's Scotland Yard, for those who know the mass-market game of trying to track down Jack the Ripper. Instead, you're trying to track down the Count. Yeah, it, and again, it's it's again, right up there. It's 190 with overall in the with the third, fourth. They 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 put the third and fourth edition together in board. Oh, they're probably board similar enough. Um, so I guess they're both the Wiz, Wiz Kids versions. Um, yeah, it's coming up as a 7.6. It's a tiny, you know, hair lighter than uh, Imperial Assault, but not enough to really make a difference. I think it's just uh, the slight skew of the numbering. Uh, so yeah. Absolutely, and that's uh, the 2015 was the uh, fourth edition, I guess. Yeah, and that's Fury of Dracula, currently released by WizKids. Up next is my favorite team game, by far one of the best games I own. At one time, I considered this my number one game. I used to play it every birthday. That is Battlestar Galactica. Uh, this is the big fantasy flight game with a million expansions, actually four, four expansions based on the modern TV series. This is a hidden role game. Some people I hear call it a co-op, but to me it's not because you know right from the start there's two teams. You're a human or you're a Cylon. And right at the beginning, you probably, you may know what one of those are. Halfway through the game, someone may change sides based right on the TV series and everything that happened in there. Uh, this game is great for gamers who like to play roles when they're playing, but make sure people realize you're playing the characters from the show, but what allegiance they had in the show does not necessarily apply in the game. We have had a couple games of this go south because someone was taking their character role too seriously based on the show, where Baltar was doing everything they possibly could to sabotage everyone, even though they were playing a human, for example. And we've had the opposite, where someone in the show who was a Cylon, someone was playing them as a Cylon when they shouldn't have been, even though the card said otherwise. Uh, this is a fantastic game. Uh, five players is the best way to play this game, because once you play six or you play four, when you play an even number, there's a weird rule, and I can't even remember what the rule is, but there's a weird card you have to throw in and it's like the Cylon Sympathizer or something. All I remember is it's bad and always play with odd numbers. And, well, it's just not that cool at three because then you only have one Cylon. At five, you get the real game. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We've talked about this on the uh, a show any number of times. And again, there is like Board Game Geek has the mechanism of cooperative play, but it's not uh, a cooperative game. There is no. just the the ability to cooperate in the game exists. Really, that's. I yeah, I've heard it's saying. the same reason people argue that Shadows Over Camelot's co-op. And I'm like, as soon as you throw that hidden traitor in there, it's no longer a co-op game. When one of the players is working against everyone else, it's some, it's a team. Well, there are also a ton of classic Euro games that are fantastic at five players. Yeah, I was I was looking through my own game collection, and I'm like, oh my god, all the games I used to buy, all the stuff from Rio Grande and Mayfair, man, that was like the golden age of five-player games. Like in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, a ton of these like cute pushers, mathy Euro games came out. If you want to know what those mean, we got a whole episode on Euro versus American games. You can listen to that. But there were a ton of them that came out around the turn of the century, and the some of these are still fantastic. These are all games that I still play to this day and will happily bring to my table. And like I, to me, this was the golden age of five-player gaming. Now, obviously, the most popular one, the one everyone's going to know right off the start, start is Settlers of Catan. Though modern people may not know the Settlers part. They'll know it as tr Catan Trade Build something. Trade Build Settle. I don't know. The box is different. It's just Catan now. Now, you do need a five- to six-player expansion set to play with five. But I really enjoy Catan with five because the thing is, once you get the six players or four players on the base game, the board's just too crowded. Whereas when you play with five, there's just enough room to spread out. And there is one new rule that I've noticed a lot of people seem to miss when they're playing five to six player Catan. And that's at the end of every player's turn, everyone gets a chance to build with the resource they have in hand. Now, this was done so that players didn't build up way too many cards between rounds and get way hit way too hard by the robber plus it makes it so everyone is paying attention every turn even though you're playing five players so even though it's sean's turn i'm going to be looking at the cards in my hand trying to figure out what i can build at the end of sean's turn even though it's not my turn so it's, it's a nice level of adding interaction at five players that you don't even get in the four player version well and look at that you know improvements on Catan, more the merrier <sighs> that was Catan trade build settle i think that's what it says on the box I don't know why I couldn't remember that earlier. I don't have it open. Or it's the classic Settlers of Catan. So up next, another game from the same time period, Power Grid. I, I think five players is the perfect player count for this route-building economic game. I have been a fan of Power Grid since I discovered it many years ago. At one time, this was also one of my number one games. Um, this still stands the test of time. I still dig playing Power Grid. I still like having it out. You know what? It's been a while. I should bring it out to an event again. Now, a fair warning. Some people find the amount of math in this game a turnoff. Uh, we've mentioned it before on the show. I personally find it rather basic math like it's money right it's how much are you spending and how much are you earning it's money math there's no multiplication logarithms or dividing it's just there are a lot of factors to take in to figure out if you're making or losing money each turn if you find yourself calculating the square root of negative one while playing power grid you've done something wrong <laughs> yes <laughs> very, very true in the newer version too you can't eliminate yourself from the game that was that is an improvement it used to be that you could screw up at the beginning and overspend and end up losing money every turn and get yourself knocked out they fixed that in the latest edition if you have an older edition look up the rule i think all it is is you make a minimum of 10 bucks every turn which is enough to buy a new power grid plant the next round so again we're talking classic euros uh there is the the Many people call Euro games soulless cube pushers, and there is no game that better fits that description than El Grande. 
Now, after 15 years, this is still the best area majority game ever made. Like, there is no better area majority game out there. This is cubes on a map that you are trying to take over territories, and whoever has the most cubes is going to get the most points, and whoever has the second most cubes is going to get the second points, whoever has the third most cubes is going to get the third point, right? It's a mechanic you see in tons of games nowadays. El Grande did it first and did it best, in my opinion. And I am happy to say it plays best with the max player count because you want as many people as possible when you're all fighting to control areas on the map and putting your cubes out, and that player count is five. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to go wrong. It's... uh... You know, it stands the test of time with 21,000 ratings on BoardGameGeek. It's still a 7.8. So, you know, that says something. I I swear it would be higher and it's probably dropped over the years because it is just cubes on a map. If those were miniatures nowadays and there was some way to represent it, I bet it would jump up a bit just for the the thematic look compared to uh, the soulless cube pusher that is El Grande. Now, a game almost everyone who is a modern hobby gamer has heard many times, may not have played it if they're new to it, is Puerto Rico. I personally think this classic does play best with four. So maybe it shouldn't have been on this list, but it does play pretty well at five. And I'll admit, I would much rather play five than three because I want the interaction, even though turns may take longer. The biggest thing with this is the role selection, right? So with five people, whenever you take a role, four other people are going to benefit from it. Uh, this has been near the top of the Board Game Geek rating since it came out. And I got to say, it's still in probably my top 25 games. Yeah, and it's in the top 25 for Board Game Geek. Uh, 21 overall. 24th in strategy with an 8.0 and 57,000 people it's coming a big to that one. conclusion. Yeah, uh, it's a big popular game. Well, not big. It's physically not that large, actually. So another one I've talked about on the show many times. Again, I'm going to group these two games together because they're basically the same. Sean's actually played this one, and that's Shogun and or Wall and Steam, whichever one you prefer. Uh, these two games, which are one's, one's German and one's Samurai, are second only to Terraforming Mars for me. When I think, I got five people, what do I want to play? First thing in my head is Terraforming Mars, and I'm like, ooh, maybe Shogun. Uh, my absolute favorite folk on a map game. Uh, the cube tower for battle resolution is just brilliant. And the mechanics are really solid mix of Euro game and war game where you may think it's all about conquering territories, but it's not. It's also about watching your grain and making sure you build the right buildings and the area control scoring in this, obviously based on El Grande, works really well. Uh, this has been one of my top games for uh, as long as I've had them. Like, since I played the German edition of Wallenstein with my friend Neil, who printed out English versions and glued them on the cards to play it, I have loved these games. Yeah, no, it's hard to go wrong with these classics. Uh, and, you know, as um, as much as I'm not generally a soulless cube pusher lover, this <laughs> it's a fun one. Just avoid Immortals, the, the, the latest game in the series. That That's not best at five players, or four, or six. <laughs> It's, it's not absolutely horrible. <laughs> so, how about getting your five players to work together in these cooperative games? Yeah, you know, I'm not a huge co-op fan, but there are some that I do dig. So here are three that I like when playing with five. 
Uh, number one is Grizzled, The Grizzled. This is a card-driven co-op game about surviving in the trenches of World War One. It has some really unique mechanics, a push-your-luck mechanism, a whole system where you can give coffee to the other players to help bolster them. You can give a speech. Uh, it's really unique and moving art style that actually is tied to... I'm going to forget the name. I shouldn't even brought that up. Uh, it's tied to a thing where artists were killed in France. It's one of the artists for that, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, very engaging gameplay. Now, this one has been nominated for seven different awards, including the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, though it never won. Now, my guess is that this is not a comfortable theme, and not everyone is going to be okay playing a game about the trenches of World War One. Understandably, it's it's definitely something that can sort of uh, touch people in the wrong way. Uh, it does sound like the expansion for it is quite uh, solid as well. The At Your Orders uh, expansion, yep. uh, which I again, agree actually, still yep. and which is best at four to five as well, uh, and has the solitaire play thrown in if you happen to be bored uh, in it as well. But yeah, that was and the, the artist that did the grizzled was one of the artists shot. Yes, Bernard Verlhack, uh, using the pen name of Tignus. New. Oh, there you go. Deanna had it in the uh, the chat there. Yeah, I think we all kind of found it at the same time. Kind of found it the same, yeah. So yeah, there's there's some ties to uh, real-life trauma with that game. And it to me, it's a good homage. So that was The Grizzled. A, I almost said collectible. A cooperative card game. Uh, up next, a game I only tried for the first time last year, despite it being out for some time, and that is Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. Uh, your team of five investigators arrives at a spooky old mansion. What unspeakable horrors work inside, and what will you have to do to stop them? Uh, this is an app-driven game, and the app-driven mechanics of the game really surpass the original one. Uh, the original game was a one versus many, that whole someone plays the adversary. They took that out and made it a full five-player co-op, which I think is really cool. I was personally blown away by how well this new edition plays and feels with the app. Now, that might turn people off because you cannot play this without the app. It is impossible. This is an app-driven board game where you need to have it. Um, tons of expansions. If you're into the Cthulhu Mythos, you're probably going to love this. I'm not into the Cthulhu Missos at all. I'm actually not a fan of Cthulhu stuff, but I dig this game. Uh, this is one of the few co-ops that I will totally dive right into. Now, BGG does say this is best at 3-4, but it is a five-player game. So, uh, there we go. Yeah, I'm not sure why they would think it was better, but I've only played with five, and I thought it was really cool with lots of dudes. There's probably a lot of downtime with more people, but we, it was so engaging to find out what everyone was doing. Yeah, it's actually, really I'm, I'm it. looking at the actual, at the, the breakdown of the voting on uh, best. It's still recommended. Um, it's not, like, no one has not recommended yeah. it as five. Uh, it's just that the three and the four get a higher rank, got the higher, more votes. That's all. Fair enough. All right, my last co-op game, one that I know Sean and enjoyed playing, even though we didn't have uh, the best go at it, but Deanna hated totally. So here's a split vote from the Velhop team. But for me, I really dig Sentinels of the Multiverse. Um, while there can be some downtime issues when playing with five, there's still a lot of interaction. Like you're all doing something every turn. And this is still my go-to superhero game, board game. I, I want a better superhero board game. Not the Sentinels Multiverse is bad, but like, please give me a better one. That'd be awesome. But right now, Sentinels Multiverse is really cool. Each player picks a hero. Then you pick a villain to fight. And then an environment where you're battling them in and go to it. 
Uh, it's all about teamwork and trying to find synergies between your various character abilities, which is pretty much what we failed to do the one time Sean played, is we did not have a very synergetic superhero team. I am a big fan of Sentinels of the Multiverse. I think Sean dug it, but wants to give it another try. Deanna, I will admit, hated it. So <laughs> this one's obviously not for everyone. Uh, and we've just had our first raid in the chat room, and unfortunately, oh, uh, unfortunately, we need to fix something on Nightbot, apparently, because uh, Nightbot doesn't like a lot of emotes, and everyone was trying to share the love with us, and, oh, and Nightbot awesome. was getting in the way. So I apologize to all those who, jop who uh, jumped in, and thanks to uh, Heart Board Games for, uh, for sending uh, folks over. Now, for Sentinels of the Multiverse, I, I did enjoy it, but then I also really enjoy both card games and superhero games. So it was really kind of hitting my spot, despite the fact that it not working uh, out perfectly well for us that time. One thing I have to say is I did try the... Uh, they have a, a free-to-play yep. tutorial version on Steam. Uh, I hated it. Oh, wow. Absolutely hated it. Didn't even finish the tutorial before I turned it off and went away. So okay, I liked it better as a card game that didn't work than as <laughs> a video game on Steam. So, you know. Well, the card game worked. We just failed. Yeah, we well, we, we failed our uh, our setup. So Yes. But there was, no, there was nothing broken about the game. All right. So that was Sentinels of the Multiverse. I think it's by Greater Than Games. Uh, you want the second enhanced edition if you were currently shopping for that. All right, so that was our cooperative games. Now, here are some great medium-weight games that play perfectly with five players. So these are a little more modern, right, than uh, the, the old classics from the 2000s. Though the first game here is going to have a really old name, and that is Risk Legacy. Now, I know a lot of people are going to balk at the name Risk, but realize that Risk Legacy is not the Risk you grew up with. No longer is this game about taking over the entire world. Instead, each game's a race to four victory points, and these victory points can be earned multiple ways, like controlling entire territories or having so many guys on the board, where every character has a home base, and if you conquer someone else's home base, it's worth points. So all of those are things you're not going to get from the original Risk. Now, this is the first ever Legacy game. The board and objectives are going to change as you play through the campaign. Now, I know some people out there are worried about replayability. Well, two things. First of all, if you can play this game with a group together, get the same people together 15 times, congrats, because we couldn't even manage to pull that off. Um, so far, we're doing good on Gloomhaven, but Risk Legacy, we were not able to finish our campaign. But even if you do, when you're done, you can still play Risk on your board. And what's really cool about that is you're now going to be able to play Risk on a board that is unique to your group. Now, you don't have to play with the same people at that point. So I could go down to the CG realm with my Risk Legacy board and play a unique game of Risk that no one else will have seen, which I personally think is really cool. Now, and again, Risk, again, people who are worried of the name, Risk gets a uh, 5 on board game geek risk legacy gets a 7.5 yeah so i mean they're completely they're very completely different games all right a game i have talked about uh, quite a bit in the last little while and that is strasbourg or strasbourg i have been a bit obsessed with this game lately i'll make I'll admit it so it makes sense to be on this list but i played this with three four and five players and i gotta say it is the best going through all 35 actions of the auctions of this game with five people the other thing is the more people the more bidding wars plus with five players the potential for every hidden goal to be in play plus the area control aspect of the game is a lot tighter when there's more people competing for spots 
Well, I think you've been uh, chatting about this so much lately. I, I can't possibly uh, <laughs> add more to that. I haven't had it on the table in front of me. So uh, we'll, yeah, we'll let your yeah, we'll let your uh, rave reviews over weeks uh, stand for that one. I do apologize for this one. It's good luck trying to find a copy. This is one of our uh, our new hotness fails because <laughs> this is not new hotness. This is old hotness that's now out of print. I apologize. We we are all about the old the new hotness from 2011, as Sean had worded it once before. So up next is one you have played though. Uh, after Strasburg, we're going to go to Lords of Waterdeep. Now I will admit that waiting between turns can get a bit long in Waterdeep with five players, but I still think it works. Um, it might be better with four, but it works fine with five. Uh, this is a great introductory work level worker placement game with a very cool Dungeons and Dragons theme. Now, I personally think if you're going to play with five, you want to throw in the Skullport expansion, because what that does is gives you another player board with more worker placement spots, because the other problem you can have with five players with the base game is all the spots you want are taken, whereas if there's more options, they're going to have more variety. I, I, I like Lords of Waterdeep. It was fun. I just, this is the one where I thought the theme was pasted on and, and pointless. I think it's a great game. That someone slapped a Dungeons and Dragons theme on to to sell more. That was that was my feeling on it. Again, we didn't we didn't really get into it. I guess we played it and we didn't really read a lot of the flavor tech and stuff, so, text and stuff. So that may have uh, been part of it. But it was a fun game. Well, the thing is, the, the theme's just cool. Whether it's tied to the game or not, it's cooler to be orcs or whatever fighters and thieves domesticating owl bears than orange and red things getting three victory points. Fair enough. So that was Lords of Waterdeep, uh, but probably want to pick up the Skullport expansion, uh, which actually comes with a, two sets of expansions in the same box. Now, here's a newer one, although it's not because it's a reprint of an old game, but at least it's currently in print, currently hot. There's currently a Kickstarter out for an expansion for it, and that is Endeavor Age of Sail. Uh, now, I have to admit, I haven't played my copy a ton of times yet, but it seems like a great nautical area control game with a five-person player count. What I see here is five players means more competition for spots and more diversity in what buildings are going to get built each game and which buildings are going to run out, forcing you to make different moves. Now, I found Endeavor to be surprisingly easy to teach, despite looking rather complicated. Uh, this one, I wouldn't say is a casual game, but it's it's lower weight than it seems when you first look at it. It looks like a big, complicated game. There's not as many options it looks like. and uh, Kind of like Race for the Galaxy, once you learn the iconography, it's not that bad. Yeah, Endeavor is a, uh, you know, they call it a 2-8 on, uh, on Board Game Geek, so it's down below that 3 level. I find 3 is a kind of a real a real uh, deciding Threshold. point uh, there, and it's definitely below that. So, good good spot to have, have weight-wise. All right, and that was Endeavor. Up next, still in the medium weight games, that's what we're talking about here, is medium weight, pretty much modern games, is Istanbul. Now, what the unique part of this one of the unique parts of this game is that when you go to a spot to use a board if other players are there you have to pay them now with five players that kind of player interaction is going to happen more often which is why i think this is best with five now overall i love the movement system in this game because you move around the board and you drop your family members to do stuff but then you suddenly run out of family members and you basically have to go back and pick them back up which i thought was kind of unique it's a very unique system i haven't seen in another game 
Now, this is a really solid pickup and de deliver game that I personally really like at five. I still haven't gotten Istanbul in there. Again, Board Game Geek has this at four, but the second highest number of votes was five. Yeah. So, I think it would depend on whether you like paying the other players to use spots. If you don't like that mechanic where you're like, ah, oh, someone else is there, I have to do something else, you're probably going to prefer it at four. Whereas when you're like, I'm going to block this spot, so when they come here, they have to pay me, you're probably going to like it at five. That was Istanbul. Up next, I've got Chinatown. Now, this game is all about negotiations. It's about trading properties, businesses, and money. The way to make negotiations better and more tense, in my opinion, is to include more people. Because I tried this game at three, and it is way too easy for two of the players to gang up on another. But it plays even better with four. But for it to really shine, you need five people. You need four other people to negotiate and trade with. That way you're no longer going to have that runaway leader problem. You're all going to be able to gang up on someone who's in the lead. You're going to be able to wheel and deal and backstab each other. All right. So that was Chinatown from Z-Man Games. Mm -hmm. uh, up next to Kaido. So every time Sean doesn't know a game at all, we then pick one next there that he's played before. That That's not... By plan, actually, which is kind of funny. It's just working out that way. Uh, we've said it before. Takedo is the most game, zen game ever. Until one of those other damn players takes the last spot you needed to get that damn fifth C panorama and complete it before anyone else. With five players, there's more competition for spots, which makes the game more cutthroat. And to me, is that's what makes Takedo great. Uh, just be sure when you're playing with five to add the Crossroads expansion, because otherwise you end up with haves and have-nots. Either you got that sixth C or you didn't, whereas at least with the expansion, you could go to the C spot and take the um, palm tree instead if you're not collecting the panoramas. Or if someone already has the full set of gear, you can get the legendary items when shopping. It just doubles the decision tree in the game. And I find with five players without that expansion, it's often, oh, you got that, you got that, there's nothing I can get. So that gets rid of it. Yeah, now, I, now for me... You add crossroads no matter what. I don't care. <laughs> Unless yeah. maybe I, mean, I suppose if you've got two player, maybe you can uh, you can skip and and, and go to uh, without crossroads. But other than that, add in crossroads. Just period. It it deserves to be there. Um, as for five players, I'm a little up in the air on this one. I've really been enjoying it at four, and it does seem to be yeah. a bit of a sweet spot. But there, it is a different game again when you go to five. So th there's basically yeah. three different games. It plays differently at two, at four, mm -hmm. and at five. Uh, three, I think, is pretty similar to two. There, that's that, that would sort of be the same to me. But four has been a really nice sweet spot on on board game uh, arena. Arena. Uh, whereas five, I think one person can kind of get completely left in the dust a little more yeah. a little more easily. Uh, but Again, it's a quick play, so even if that's happening, you can just sit down for another another game. It doesn't really take that long to play play through. And uh, that next time, that that person, depending on who they who they pick as their uh, character, could slay everyone. That is something about the game that I almost wish. It seems like different characters are better at different player counts. And I almost That's... wish there was, like, a recommendation. Like, if you're playing five players, just take out these two characters. Or if you're playing two characters, add these ones in. Now, I don't know which characters go for which, but I know when we've been playing a lot of four- and five-player games, there's certain characters I get, and I'm like, oh, hell no. Yeah. Like, for one, the temple-based ones. Once you're playing five people, there's too many different people donating to the temples. If you're playing three people, a temple-based strategy is much more valid than playing five people. Absolutely. All right. 
Well, while they may take some time to play, there are some great heavy board games out there for five players. So just to jump back slightly, that was Takedo. we got to try to remember to mention them at the end. Know what I, I should start doing in the notes is right where your comments are, put the name of the game again, and maybe yeah. you can mention it at the end. Just something to get better at doing that. We try. Yep, yep. So for heavier games, one of the first games always comes to my mind when I'm thinking I got five people and I want to play something with some meat to it is Concordia. I really love this game. The problem is the wait and the play time tends to scare people away. Now, I'll admit it, the scoring in this is probably the most opaque out of any game I've owned. Uh, put it this way, the game actually says when you're playing for the first time to after you played through one round to do a fake scoring round just so the people hopefully get it by the end of the game. Even doing that, I have never gotten to the end of the game and not had someone go, oh, son of a, I didn't realize. Happens every time. Uh, the, the scoring's terrible in this game to figure out. Now, once you got it, it's kind of brilliant. It's the drafting the cards and the different gods and the way you score and you choose what you're scoring and it may not be what other people are doing and so on. Uh, it's opaque. It's it's hard to grasp that concept and it does scare people away. Now, that said, this game has a great five-player option. Now, there's going to be downtime because there's AP in this game, but in my opinion, it's worth it. Now, the two sides of the map is cool because it does scale better because of that, excuse me, because there is a... I think it's a four to five player side of the game and then a three to four player side of the game where four players can play either side. Now, is there a, uh, are any of the expansions uh, better for the larger player counts? Like it, there's a lot of expansions out there, it seems like. Uh, the only box expansion they put out I know of is Salsa, which is on my pile of shame. I've yet to try it. Now, Venus is coming out this year, but it's a standalone game. So I don't know. I think the rest of this stuff must all be promo items. Yeah, because I'm seeing Salsa, Britannia, Gallia, Egyptus. Oh, those uh, are maps. Ah, uh, Different okay. maps. Ah, uh, I see. And to be honest, I haven't tried any maps except the ones that come in the base box. Now, I have heard Salsa's good. It adds it adds a wild resource to the game that the Salsa is, is um, uh, Latin for salt, and salt becomes a universal good that everyone wants. And supposedly it makes the game a little more forgiving, but it's been on my pile of shame for a long time, to be honest. It's one I really should get to play. But as I said, this game scares people. Like, I can't get people out to play the base game, and it's one of those where I need to play the base game with people and then play the expansion, but you're looking at a seven-hour night at that point just because it's not a short game, right? So it's it's the getting the buy-in. What I need to do is bring Concordio, get people to play, then bring it out next week, get people to play again now that they get the scoring rules, and then bring Salsa out the next week. So there's like a, two months worth of planning involved for me to get Salsa played, unfortunately. Like, I love the game. I love Concordia, but getting it to the table has proved difficult. It's almost like my Twilight Imperium. I just can't get people to sit down and play this game. All right, next up... Euphoria, Build a Better Dystopia. Uh, this one's come up a few times on the show, which always surprises me. Uh, this is one, again, I didn't even think of until I did some Googling on other people's top lists, and I'm like, ooh, Euphoria, that game's great. Now, everyone else's list, when they're talking Stonemeyer games, is all Scythe, Scythe, I love Scythe. Yeah, go Scythe. Well, you guys can all go play Scythe, and I'll be over here in the corner playing Euphoria, because I really didn't like Scythe. So I know that's, that's a, a geek cred knock there. I don't know. Maybe I should try it again, but I love Euphoria. This is a cool take on dice-driven worker placement with a rather dark and amusing theme where if your workers get too smart, they uh, they go away. 
because they can't deal with living in your society anymore. Uh, this is my favorite Stonemeyer game, and personally, I think it plays best with four or five players. You want that interaction because this is a worker placement game where you can bump other people's dice, and that's a big part of the game. And with five people, there's going to be more bumping, so more interaction. Yep, and uh, Board Game Geek definitely agrees. Four or five is the sweet spot there. Uh, I have to say, I, I'm sad I missed this one at, uh, yeah. I think it was the birthday party game. We mm -hmm. were off, we were off, and I have, I, I was having a great time playing some card games, but uh, I was looking over it and, at, at uh, Euphoria and, and thinking, that definitely looks interesting, and, and we're going to have to try that at some point. Uh, so yeah, I think we were up, playing, you were yeah. playing uh, Hogwarts Battle, I think, at the time. Uh, no, actually, I think we'd already moved on to uh, Valeria Card Kingdom. So that oh, was... maybe. Okay. So that was Euphoria, Build a Better Dystopia. Up next, Hansa Teutonica. Uh, this is a older game that I only discovered late last year, and I fell in love with it. Uh, if you listened to the the few weeks there where I was playing the heck out of this, you would have heard me mention on the podcast, I think, three, four weeks in a row. Now, this is a rope-building game I can sink my teeth into. Uh, this is the gamer's game version of Ticket to Ride. You're connecting cities. You're building your network of offices. You're upgrading your skills along the way. Uh, this is one where the more people who play, there's more competition on the map for building the routes, so the tighter the game. Uh, this one sinks at five players. I'm a big fan of Hansa Teutonica. If you like your route building games but want something with some something to sink your teeth into, I strongly recommend it. And uh, we again, we've chatted about this quite a bit. If you head back into our uh, back catalog a little bit, you uh, if you haven't heard it already, there's lots to uh, lots to hear about this game. And that was Hansa Yeah. Up next is a Stefan Feld game. This is one of his older games and not a point salad because this game, I don't know if he hadn't figured out his, his love of salad at this point, and that is In the Year of the Dragon. Now, I got to say, it, based on this, I don't know enough Chinese history to know if this is true, but it seems the Year of the Dragon was not a good one because in this game, you're dealing with fires, droughts, and earthquakes, and riots, and everything's terrible. And the whole thing is you have to try to recruit the right people to prepare for the coming year. Um, this is I, I am a Stefan Feld fanboy, and this is one of my favorite Feld games. Like I love that it's all about planning for the worst. And the winner is the person who could mitigate the damage, like mitigate the disasters uh, best out of everyone else. And it's, it's doing the best you can with a bad situation. I really dig that theme to In the Year of the Dragon. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's the, 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 the cool concept of this is you've got to, it's a really bad time you've got to get through. And it's just... If I remember, the only positive event that happens is, like, the New Year's party. There's, like, you draw tiles from a bag to see what's going to happen that year, and it's, like, there's, like, two good things, and everything else is terrible. And it's all about mitigating the, the disaster, which I love it. I love the theme. And that is In the Year of the Dragon, a classic Steffenfeld game. All right. My last one, and may surprise some people, here is a big, overproduced, tons of miniatures, spent a fortune on Kickstarter game from Cool Mini or not, and that is Rising Sun. This, it's overproduced, it's over the top, but I gotta say it's beautiful. These are nice looking minis. Uh, this Folk on a Map game actually plays really well with five players. That's because the first thing you do every year in Rising Sun is have a tea ceremony where players make alliances with one another. And the thing I found is if you play four players, 
to like for the player you just you make a deal you're like i team with you this turn or this turn and everyone makes a deal with someone else and all four players are in an alliance with someone and that's just boring with five players there's always someone left out which means that phase has some meat to it there's actual negotiations i have never seen in a four-player game someone offer to send ronin to help someone out to make an alliance or offer money it's always to say hey, you want to team up this turn yeah sure with five players, it's the, wait, no, no, you teamed up with them last round. I'll give you three Ronin. Oh, if he's going to offer you three Ronin, I'm going to give you three gold and two Ronin. And there's actual negotiations there instead of a, yeah, okay, let's work together this turn. I got to say, Rising Sun, personally, I think is way better with five. Now, I also say it's really good with three. So either way, I think you need an odd number of players to really enjoy Rising Sun. And Rising Sun still has one of the neatest combat mechanics I've ever seen in a game. This is interesting, and, and D is is supporting Board Game Geek on this one. They say four, and Angie Games is saying she hates it at five because she was the one left out, right? You were she yep. somebody gets somebody gets stuck and uh has to has to be the one that isn't uh isn't getting a deal. I don't know, I, I guess I'm just mean player and I like <laughs> I like the meanness of like like then I'm like, okay, well the next year negotiate better and don't be the player who's left out. There you go. And that was Rising Sun. All right. So while writing up the blog post for this topic, one of the things that kept coming to my mind when I kept thinking five players, what do I like playing with five players? If I could get five people together, and then I'm like, man, if I could get five people together every week or, or once a month even or every two weeks, what would we play? And I'm like, wait, we, we wouldn't play a board game. I would totally put the board away, and I'd start playing a role-playing game. Now, I love board games, but I am still a big fan of pen and paper role-playing games. And while I have fun playing one-shots and campaigns or going to cons and playing role-playing games, I I like playing campaign games. I the, To me, role-playing is best when playing an ongoing campaign. No, absolutely. If there's something, I mean, there's a really good one-off by a really good DM who, who thrives in the con scenario is, is fantastic. But it really is just something to be said about the development and, you know, ticking those boxes on your character sheet and leveling mm -hmm. up and, 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 and building the experience. Yeah. So here are some five-player games I wish I could be playing right now on the role-playing side. Now, here's one that probably will surprise people who know me well, but Dungeons & Dragons, 5th edition, it's huge. Everyone's going nuts over this. Now, I was part of the D&D Next playtest team with a bunch of people. It's not like my name's in the book. Lots of people playtested D&D Next. But, like, I actually downloaded the packages from WotC and actually got together game groups and sent notes in. Like, we really did actually playtest it. And one of the things I noted when we were playing D&D Next is I'm like, man, I haven't enjoyed D&D this much since playing 2nd edition. Now, 2nd edition was my edition growing up, right? Like, I ran a 12-year campaign set in the same world with recurring characters. I was a huge fan of 2nd Edition D&D. Now, since then, I have played 5th Edition at a con, and it still felt the same as D&D Next. Like, to me, it's D&D... Or, sorry, it still felt the same as D&D 2nd Edition, and it felt the same as the playtest. Now, to me, it's like 2nd Edition D&D with the rules versus ruling and the storytelling with some modern mechanics, like rules for passive checks, inspiration. I love the way they do skill checks. The fact your background actually matters. All of that's really cool. Now, I gotta admit, at this point, I have not read the core rule books. I don't... I own it, but I haven't read the beginner box. But, like, everyone is playing 5th Ed D&D. 5th Edition D&D exploded, right? Like, it's huge. I can't believe the number of people who play 5th Edition D&D, and I would love to try it out at some point. 
I don't even own all the core rule yet, but getting together a group for D and D is pretty easy to do nowadays. Well, and I know Dee's experiences at the cons have been uh, nothing but positive, and she's been loving D and D Fifth Ed. Uh, I'm still a uh, I'm still a two ed player. Uh, it's pretty. I think we we did it. We 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 dabbled a bit with skills and powers before I moved up to Toronto, mm-hmm. but uh, that was about it. So uh, just that was Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. All right. So after D and D Fifth Edition, um, right now another game I'm kind of geeked about is Shadow of the Demon Lord. Uh, I did a review of this back in March, and I gotta say it looks good. This was the people call it the spiritual successor to Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I grew up on Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I love Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Oddly enough, I'm more interested in running Shadows of the Demon Lord than trying Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition, which is kind of weird. Maybe I should be more excited about that. But I like the new twist, right? Shadows of the Demon Lord did some new stuff. It's a D20 based system um obviously inspired by dungeons and dragons uh but does some really cool stuff even things like the fact that you only play 10 levels and it's supposed to play you play one game and level up so your average campaign in that game is 10 sessions that seems like something i might actually be able to fit in my life which would be cool um so yeah shadows of the demon lord looks cool if i had five people right now and all four of them would enthusiastically agree to play shadows of the demon lord i'd be all over it well If you were looking to run online, I am there, because that one sounds super interesting to me. Again, you know, Warhammer was our bread and butter. That was our go-to. That was what we loved. And I really, you know, from reading your review, the the Shadow of the Demon Lord vibe has really given me that same sort of feeling. And I'd love to to get that back. Uh, I got to say, the D20 is kind of weird, because I'm so used to percentage. (laughs) When it comes to the Warhammer feel, it would be a a weird change. But uh, I'm, I'm open to it. All right, that was Shadow of the Demon Lord by Robert J. Schwab. Uh, Final one, final recommendation, though I am going to mention a couple things as we get to the end, just some stuff we've seen, some recommendations I've already had, uh, is the Starfinder Beginner Box. Now, there's a reason for this. I don't know if I'm interested in Starfinder. Pathfinder in space, maybe. But the thing is, I have a soft spot for Beginner Boxes. Anytime I talk about Beginner Boxes, you see me, like, I've talked about them on Twitter quite a bit. Like, I kickstarted a bunch of, like, the adventures in the east mark and all these starter boxes because i don't know what it is i love them goes back to when i found marvel superheroes on my dad's shelf right i just there's something about that box set all contained and playing a game only using the rules in that box right like not expanding to the full game but just playing it and out of all the beginner boxes i've actually read and played the pathfinder one was by far the best i've ever experienced like we took that box And I read it, and I'm like, this is cool, and it's got an intro adventure, but it had actual stuff on how to run a campaign and how to go beyond the stuff in the box. And then they had some resources online, and I actually turned that into an almost one-year campaign where we played Pathfinder, but all we used were the rules in that box, and it was fantastic. It was one of the most memorable recent role-playing campaigns I've run. So since then, Starfinder came out. I'm like, eh, sci-fi Pathfinder, that could be cool. And then the beginner box came out, and I was just, I want to know if it's as good as the Pathfinder one. And I think it'll be the perfect intro to the Starfinder setting. And I probably have no intention of ever actually going on to play Starfinder, the huge 600, 800-page rulebook. I just want that stuff in that box. There's something to be said about, you know, simplicity. You know, that you can... You can... You know, just cram it all down nice and tight and uh, and go with it uh, and, and enjoy it without having to deal with all the baggage and mm-hmm. rule sets and, and weight of the rest of that system. 
It is a heavy system. They're, they're the, the, the moniker Mathfinder is not misplaced. It, it is a crunchier game. It is based on 3.5 edition D&D. That's what Pathfinder is, is it branched off. When 4th edition came out, a bunch of gamers went, we like what we had now, and they made their own game, basically. And and they were legit people. Like, Paizo was the company that used to own Dragon and Dungeon Magazine. So it's not like they had no tie-in to D&D. But Starfinder's a new sci-fi thing, and a slight spoiler... I am now working with Paizo, and sometime in the next year, you probably will get to hear my thoughts on the Pathfinder Beginner Box. Starfinder Beginner Box. So a game I missed. Uh, someone called this out on Twitter, and I have to mention it because I think it's a fantastic suggestion. And the reason I didn't include it, because right off the top of my head, Deanna even suggested it, was like Alien Frontiers. That one's great with five. And I'm like, wait, every game I put on this list, I went on board game geek just to check to make sure like my mind wasn't playing tricks. And I'm like, oh, Alien Frontiers only plays four. Man, I thought it played five. Oh, well. And I took it off the list. Well, Ryan Peach, I think, was the one that pointed it out to me. Thank you, Ryan. That it does play five if you own any of the expansions. So kind of like Race for the Galaxy. Anytime you buy one of the expansion packs, it comes with the components to add another player. Like Race for the Galaxy, I think you play seven, even though the core game plays four. Well, that's exactly the same thing Alien Frontiers did. And I totally forgot because all my stuff's all in one box and it's all mixed together. So it ends up you can play Alien Frontiers five player and it's really good five player because I remember remembered it that way and that totally should have been on the list dice based worker placement roll your dice put them on the board working out to get resources and develop technologies all to try to uh exploit the planet Heinland by playing an area control game with your colonies really good uh the best game minion games ever produced and it ends up it's actually the people who later went on to form daily magic games that made that game and we all know and love them for valeria card kingdoms so great group of people that ties back to when they were first doing stuff on kickstarter so the honorable mention for this list that i missed on the blog post would be alien frontiers and Ryan mentions in Twitter that uh, with either factions or outer belt for the five players. Yeah, those are, are the two are his recommendations. Yeah, yeah, those are the two boxed ones. Uh, also, Ryan has spoken up and mentioned Fiasco for five player RPG. Yeah, sorry. I, as soon as someone says fiasco, I just immediately think of the argument, is it a role-playing game or is it an improv experience? And I'm not going to answer that question here. I bought a copy of Fiasco. It's not for me. Um, for improv gaming, I go with... Uh, Rocker Boys and Vending Machines. And I got to say, I read Runaway Hirelings today and talk about an improv game, but that sounds fun. I am really tempted to bring it to QCC and run it, but I can't get my printer to work. And there's stuff I would have to print ahead of time. Plus, if I start running RPGs in public, I might get a reputation or something. <laughs> All right. So from the chat room, uh, Major Kayla is saying uh, Power Grid or Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh, we talked about Power Grid, but Betrayal House on the Hill. And, I mean, I have to say, Betrayal at the House on the Hill seems to come up in our chat room almost every week. People it does. Really, people like people that game. People love that game. Yeah, not uh, a fan. <laughs> uh, and she was mentioning Dead of Winter is another one of those hidden trader cooperative yep. games where, you know, it, it, it's cooperative potential, but there's a hidden trader, so... You know. It's even more interesting than that because in Dead of Winter, everyone's the trader because everyone has a personal goal. And if they complete their personal goal, they win. So it's hidden traitor, but like your goal might go along with the group or it might not. It's really interesting. Uh, so that's not, it. not a lot of five player no, gamers no, in the chat room tonight. It's one of those things where I think a lot of people have either the larger or the smaller groups. And if right. they hit at a certain point, uh, Major Kayla was talking about two. this, they break into two groups. Yep. Uh, five is one of those strange little things. And again, family, uh, 
family gaming is another big uh, issue where you know they design these games mm-hmm. for uh, you know for four players because that's sort of that that universal generic family number that someone mm-hmm. came up with at some point. Um, <laughs> yes, you, you will you have two point five kids. Yeah, two point five kids. Uh, and so that generic family sweet spot ends up being the four player. Um, yes, there was stuff that could have been on this list too. Uh, I don't have my list in front of me. Uh, there was stuff I thought of. Like to me, these are the best of the best. I do apologize for people out there who want to go shopping based on some of these suggestions because there's some classic games on there that are hard to find. But I did try to include some of the newer stuff. The biggest trend I noticed though is five player popular big non filler games seem to be more of a thing of the past. Like, they definitely, um, like, back in the year 2000, they were all over. Like, all kinds of Mayfair Rio Grande games, like Raw, um, Princes of Florence, uh, Medici. These are all games I could have put on this list, and I did not. Um, St. Petersburg, with the expansion, plays five. Those are all great games, but I can't name five games that came out in 2018 that play good with five. Like, it just, it just seems like... The, the focus is on smaller player count and shorter experiences overall in the gaming industry overall. Well, I think part of that might be when you've got 8,000 games coming out a year, if you're not a quick game, you've got a lower chance of getting to the table in some ways because, you know, that what you've only, you've only got time in a night for that one big game. Uh, whereas if, you know, you can get people, a whole bunch of people to show up with short games, a lot more games are going to get played. And I think people are maybe hedging their bets now in this market, unless you really got a solid long game, go with that, you know, the right in the rolls and, mm-hmm. and these, these Roll games right that you can play the, quickly. These quick, yeah. yeah. Um, quick uh, in the chat room is saying, uh, Orleans is great at five for competitive or co-op. That sounds cool. I love Orleans, but it only plays four. Oh, unless the expansion. Does the expansion add a player? That could be it. Ah, I don't with know. expansion. I, it, there we go. Ah, okay. That makes sense. That's cool. So you know it right there? Is fifth, that yeah, expansion. Fifth, fifth player box. There it is. Came out Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Haven't tried it yet. It's right there. It's in. That's the, the pile of obligation back there. The pile of obligation has the Orleans expansion in it. Oh, the deluxe edition is five player. There you go. I didn't oh, know that either. Okay. I don't, I don't have the deluxe edition. Okay, cool. That's good to know because Orleans is fantastic. It's good to know what's good with five. Um, another one that people recommended was Zolkin with the expansion. Now, we played Zolkin and I own the expansion. And I played the expansion, but I haven't played the five player part of the expansion. I liked everything else in the expansion. So that's another one that could be on this list. Orleans with five. Cool. Now I have more of a reason to open that up. There we go. So again, if I get five people showing up to my Monday game night, we're putting the boards away and pulling out the dice. (laughs) All right. So that's it for this week's Ask the Bellhop. If you'd like to read more about game, gaming and game night topics like this, be sure to check out the blog at tabletopbellhop.com and click on Gaming Advice, where you'll see plenty of topics answered in blog form. Now, if you do have a question for us, remember, you can head over to the website, click on Ask the Bellhop, or just email me, questions at tabletopbellhop.com. We keep growing with the support of fans like you. So, if you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, like, rate, review, click on the bell, thumbs up, or share to your friends. Wherever or however you find us, you can help us grow. Sign up to receive Tabletop Bellhop Weekly in your inbox. Once a week, I'll be sending out an email recapping all the content we've released in the week previous. Blog posts, new podcast episodes, reviews, videos, and anything else we create. You can sign up at newsletter.tabletopbellhop.com or go over to the tabletopbellhop.com webpage where you'll find a spot to subscribe in the sidebar. 
Extra Life is coming up quick. Well, November is still fairly far away. I got to say, there's not a lot of time between then and now for planning. We make a big deal about this charity gaming event here in Windsor. Uh, for me, it's it's our biggest event of the year. Uh, personally, I think it's an amazing cause. And I'm sorry, but we're going to be talking about this every week leading up to the main event. While the actual event of Extra Life hits on November 2nd, we're already starting to work on local events and have already started raising money. Yeah, at this point, we're already at 90 bucks, which is pretty cool. Like, it's way early to have 90 bucks, so thank you, everyone who has donated to the cause. So now the big thing we're doing next is setting up a meeting looking for volunteers in the Windsor-Essex area. I know we do have some local listeners. So we're going to be hosting this meeting on June 21st. We're looking for about 1 p.m. Right now, it's looking like it's probably going to be at Average Joe's. The thing is, I really want to have it where we had our meetings last year, but that place burnt down. And then the second place we started moving our meetings to went out of business. So uh, we're kind of stuck right now. We'll let you know, though. Just be sure to follow me on Facebook, watch me on Twitter, and so on. It is going to be June 21st. That's the first Sunday I have available, probably about 1 p.m., and we're looking at probably average shows. Uh, so keep up with what we're doing for Extra Life by heading to WindsorExtralife.com. That's all one word, WindsorExtralife.com. Now, the other thing you can do here is show your support on WindsorExtralife.com by donating to our cause. And there's one other thing we are looking for, and that's games to play at the event and games to include in our live auction. Our live auction is our big money maker. If you have games you'd be interested in donating to either of these causes, please contact me at mo at tabletopllop.com. And now, Tabletop Gaming Weekly, where we look back and summarize what's happened since we were last year. What games hit your tabletop? <laughs> yeah, every week we like to take a look back at the games we've played or I've played, any events we've attended, and other cool gaming stuff that's going on. You can catch the blog version of This Week in Review at tabletopbellhop.com under On Our Tabletop. Yeah, Sean noted it. He said, once it gets to be summer, I'm going to be busy. Too busy to play games, unfortunately. Thankfully, I don't have that problem. I had lots of new-to-me games this past week. Uh, one of my best weeks yet for, for trying out new stuff. Remember how last week I talked about the pile of obligation? Well, this, this past week I made a big dent in that pile. So up first, uh, July 1st is Canada Day for you, those of you who aren't local, aren't from this country. Uh, and there's a big celebration that goes on uh, locally and, well, pretty much everywhere in Canada. Here we go to a town called Amherstburg, which is a historic city that was very important during the War of 1812. Uh, there is a fort there, Fort Malden, well, the remains of a fort there, and it's a historic site owned uh, by the government. And on Canada Day, they open it up for free, which is pretty cool. Uh, they have all kinds of activities going on. You get cupcakes and stuff like that. And Amherstburg, the town itself, really prides itself on its history. And events happen basically all over the town. So you leave Fort Malden, go to Toddy Jones Park, and there's food trucks, and there's a splash pad, and there's music. And if you head downtown, there's all kinds of events going on. So we had a big... We always, we always, every Canada Day, we spend out in Amherstburg. So this year, while we were there, uh, the kids happened to be on the splash pad, and I checked out a game that I got in the mail uh, from Zentico. Now, this was sent to me by the people behind it. They sent me a copy to review. Uh, that was on Instagram, which was pretty cool. So it definitely helps sharing stuff on Instagram. Makes me glad I'm over there. They contacted me and were like, hey, check this game out. So this was our first time playing it. Now, I don't want to say too much about it because I, I'm going to write up a full review once we get back from QCC next week. Now, what I will say here is that I have may I may have found the perfect 
beach splash pad picnic you're outdoors you don't have to worry about ruining it game uh this is an abstract strategy game made of pu, PU leather and plastic components that rolls up into this like really portable kind of scroll case kind of shape for you fantasy gamers now the actual game kind of reminds me of connect four mixed with nine men's morris the game's very simple to learn easy to teach and quick to play what i haven't gotten to try yet is it plays three player and i think that's going to be really the sweet spot for it now you can check out the quality of the game on our unboxing video that went live on youtube this past monday uh, a week ago monday if you're listening to the podcast and watch the blog for a full review sometime in the coming weeks Absolutely. So we've got that content on YouTube, and I'm sure we'll have much more to come on this interesting and super portable, which is always awesome, game. And one other big bonus that's going to go live with that review is I, well, they convinced that we both talked about it. We made a deal. They are going to do a giveaway. So we are going to have one copy of Zentico to give away to someone worldwide. Uh, details on that will come out when the review comes out. And again, QCC is tomorrow. I got no time for that right now. We'll be getting to it when I get back. So at night on Canada Day, after all the celebrations were over and the kids were in bed, I asked Deanna if she wanted to play something two-player, uh, mainly because Canada Day hit on a Monday, and Monday is normally our board game night, but everyone's busy with Canada Day stuff. Uh, she bit, so I broke out another review copy, this one from Daily Magic Games, a game I picked up from them at Origins, and that is Horizons. Now, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the box cover, or it's the fact that it's from... Um, Daily Magic Games, who do Valeria Card Kingdoms and all the other Valeria games that are all card games. I had it in my head that Horizons was some type of card game. And I have no idea why, because it's not. Like, there are cards in the game and cards affect play. Like, I, I don't even know if it'd be... It's, it's not even really card-driven. It's an action selection game with about resource collection and management... And, yeah, there's cards, but, like, they're just the allies you get, which modify your actions. So, for anyone else out there, don't think Horizon's a card game. I don't know what got that in my head, but I was wrong. Well, you know what? It's interesting because I pull it up on BoardGameGeek, and the first, like, six pictures of the game are of the cards. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's, I mean, they, it, and then as soon as you click into actual, like, you know, the user posted gameplay, you can see, oh, look, cubes on modular, you know, hexes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's interesting. And you zoom out and you can see, but again, even when you zoom out, it's, there's a lot of cubes, but there's also cards there. So it's, uh, it's easy from just looking at the listings for this game. I can understand why you'd think cards. I definitely thought it was a card game. There are cards. I'm not saying there's no cards. And there are actions, and the cards are important. But just, like, I thought card game, right? Like, hands of cards or tableaus or I don't know. Anything. The other thing that I find really weird about this game is no one is talking about it. Now, I'll admit I'm a little behind on podcasts. Maybe that's all it is. But, like, I have seen no buzz for this game. And that's a bit of a shame because so far it seems like a pretty solid game. Now, at this point, I would only played once. Um... In it, you're expanding your star-faring race out to the stars. So I, I hate to use the term 4X because it doesn't have all the 4Xs, but it's got that 4X feel. Um, you're going to discover new worlds. You're going to exploit the worlds to gain energy and ore off them. And then you're going to use those resources to build colonies. Um, you are expanding out. So really the only X that's missing is... Um, Exterminate. There's no player versus player here. There's no way to battle. Everyone's generally friendly in this game. You're not competing. You're competing with the other players, but there's no attacking of the other players. 
source of victory points in this game are mission cards. Um, and then there's an area control style scoring at the end based on the suns you have. Uh, I will note that with two players, the there is a variant. So it does play different two players. The more the scoring at the end of the game is completely different. Now, overall, doesn't this kind of sound like Race for the Galaxy? Like you're choosing between actions and you're using it like Explorer. You grab planets and decide what to put into play. Or you're going to harvest resources. Like there's a lot of overlap here. And I was also reminded a bit of Masters of Orion, the board game, which that is a card game, completely a card game. There's no board in Master of Orion. So bored in this. Now, at this point, I had only played one two-player game, but I liked what I saw. I, I really got to get in more plays of this ones, and I really got to try it with more player counts to give a final verdict on it, but I liked what I saw so far. So I'm just scanning through the uh, the comments on this one. There's very few people who've uh, who've actually even commented on it uh, on Board Game Geek. Uh, I, perhaps it's the Kickstarter experience. I don't know. Um, but I don't... Kickstarter? Okay. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter. Uh, and I have to say... Uh, I'm always a little skeptical when I see Kickstarter reviews, especially low numbers of reviews that the numbers aren't going to be seeing. Uh, it's interesting, though. Apparently, it can be a 4X game. There is a small box expansion that is Extermination. Huh. That's so, so they knew it was a 4X so game. It's a 3X, so it's a 3X game, and you can expand with a mini huh. expansion that's Extermination uh, to make it a 4X game. That's, that's uh, cute. I'm seeing a lot of sort of, it's it's good, but it's bland. It's good, but the balance issues are off. Um, so it's it's a solid game, but I think it's never going to reach great right. game levels, at least from the uh, the opinions I'm seeing on a lot of the, the people who, again, are and a lot of these people are going to be the Kickstarters. So they, they've got money behind it, and they're still kind of iffy about it. Yeah, so this is another case of 9,000 games came out, right? Yep. And it's not great, so it gets passed by, which can be sad. So another thing that happened this past week is it was Big G's birthday. Now, she's been on this big board game mood lately. She's been playing with her sister quite a bit. Um, they keep breaking out, out Foxed. Um, plus, her and her mom were playing Ingenious and Quirkle the other day. Because she's on a kick, I got a chance to try out one of the kids' games I got from Haba Games at Origins. Now this game, um, while they didn't provide me a review copy, they gave me a discount on buying it as long as I talked about the game. So uh, this was provided to me from Haba at Origins. Now the game is King of the Dice. Now this one's interesting because Haba's doing this thing, right? Is they have a new series of games. Haba games in the past always came in yellow boxes, and all their yellow box games are kids' games. They're now trying to branch out, and they're calling them game night games. And the difference is they're not in boxes, but they're for playing with family. They called it family-level games. So stuff you can play with the whole family that's still fun for adults. Now, this is one of the first family-level games I tried for them. That is not one of the yellow games. Well, you know, we've you've been uh, so hot on uh, from their kids line, so uh, the non-kids line should be pretty solid at least. Yeah, I gotta say the the hottest game for me this year is Go Cuckoo from Haba, and that is from their Yellow Box Kids line. So, King of the Dice, uh, you're gonna roll six dice. They're numbered one to six, like the D6s, but the sides come in three different colors. So you got red, green, and blue, and there's two of each. So there's 
one third chance of rolling any of those numbers. Uh, players are trying to roll patterns and you're trying to match requirements on citizen cards. They're laid out on the table. I think there's five of them out of a time. It might be six. I might be off for a bit. Um, these cards each have requirements on them. There are various things like you need a series of three numbers or a certain dice total or you need sets of the same die or you need pairs of numbers or dice of a certain color or all dice the same color or all dice different colors and so on. Now the cards have different values and these are obviously based on the probabilities. So a two card is easy to roll, a ten card's hard to roll. Now along with this, the citizen cards are placed under town cards. Now those go horizontal, and each of those has a color. And each of the citizens has a color. And if you can time it so that you take a person while they're under the town card, you get both cards. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, there's a sort of mixed love on this, but there isn't a lot of love for it. It actually has the same number of ratings as Horizons. Uh it's a, you know, it's a 2017 game that uh, has gone under the radar, it just seems like. Yeah, it does seem that way. Now, what this reminded me of is a push-your-luck dice game called Roll For It from Calliope Games. That isn't, it's a decent game. I, I own a copy of it. My mother-in-law owns a copy, and the kids dig it, which is why I picked up King of the Dice. But this seems to have more options. For one, the fact dice have colors on them instead of just numbers gives more strategy and tactics because there's different com citizens in the town cards. So you have more options. You have more possible combinations to get with your dice. And you're doing the whole Yahtzee thing, right? You roll once, you can roll again, and you can roll one more time choosing how many dice. Now, I got to say, personally, I knew I enjoyed the game. I did a demo at Origins, and I'm like, this is cool. To me, I, this is a step up from Roll For It. I like this. I think my kids will like it because they like Roll For It, and, and it's going to teach them some stuff that roll for it won't like especially with the colors and there's a lot more probabilities and there's more playing playing the dice right like looking at the probabilities going well i could get that guy he's easy but if i try i might be able to get this other one i gotta say i, I was happy to say big g liked it quite a bit she uh even though she was just terrible at rolling dice not that that can be a skill the dice hated her fates were against her um it didn't go so well now, Deanna, on the other hand, was not a big fan. Uh, I think the quote she said was, I prefer games where I have more control over my own destiny. Now, while King of the Dice does let you play the probabilities, uh, especially due to the variety of the citizen types, you can usually get something good every turn. Like, if you can't get the really good one, you can get one of the worst citizens. But it is a dice game, after all, and some turns you just roll badly and you get penalized for not making a match. Yeah, the, the ratings on it seem to sort of lean toward this is an 8 with kids and a 6 overall. All right. So, again. I, I, I haven't played it that much at this point. So in the coming weeks, you'll, you'll see a full review. Uh, I need to get more plays in. Um, the big thing, though, is I really want to play this with Little G. So Big G is 12. Little G is uh, 8 at this point. I think she's going to like it more than her older sister. Uh, so far, though, it is a hit with Big G. I'm a fan, but Deanna would rather play something with more meaningful decisions in it. So that was King of the Dice. Uh, up next, I'm having a lot. I'm, I'm talking probably too much about these games. Up next is Raiders of the North Sea. Uh, this is from Renegade Games. Uh, I've got to thank Terry from Renegade for providing me a review copy. Uh, this is one of their biggest hits. Uh, I'm late to the game here. Here's here's the new hotness from 2015. Really, it is. It was a really big deal when it came out in 2015. Here we are four years later, and I'm talking about this game. But, hey, it happens. I didn't get it when it came out then. I got it now. And, man, in 2015, everyone was right. And they're still right. This is a fantastic game. 
Uh, I did a demo of this back in Origins 2016, but I never actually had a chance to play the full game. It took until last Saturday to finally play it, and man, it was worth the wait. Like, this is one, um, I'm going to be doing a full review after a few more plays, so another one. But what I will say is I love the place a worker to take an action, then take a worker away to do your second action. That is a really neat mechanic. At the end of every turn, you have one worker in your hand, and it works really well. Really cool mechanic. Um, I really like the way this played two players. This was just Deanna and I, and it's not often you find a game that plays four that plays really well with two and there were no rule changes like there was nothing there was no other side of the board no cards you eliminate you just set it up and played the same with two players as you would with four which is cool um the game rules are identical at this point this may become one of our favorite heavier bigger two-player games ever like this is no onitama the do quick game this is a, a heavier euro this may become our favorite heavier two-player euro excellent uh, and there are a number of promos and expansions out for yeah. it, including a solo variant. So, oh, interesting. There aren't uh, there aren't uh, solo built in, but you can get uh, a solo variant, which has a, a high ranking, not not a high, not a lot of rate, not a lot of ratings, but uh, it's it's coming in at an eight. Uh, and then there's also um, the uh, Fields of Fame expansion. Um, just try. I mean, it's it's tough because there's a lot of promos as well. But yeah, there's like, a lot of little uh, fields of fields of fame and hall of heroes. Those are the two boxed ones. Yeah, are are the two actual expansions that aren't promos of. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a whole lot of promos out there as well. Uh, at, at, th at this point, I'm really tempted to go back to Renegade and be like, please, please give me the expansions. I love the base game. I'll probably say good things about them. And then Deanna in the chat just mentioned, I do, I love the art. The art is Miko, who's the person who did the art for Valeria Card Kingdoms. So really do dig the art look. Um, overall, just everyone, look forward to hearing more about this game in the coming weeks. Um, like, I'm actually thinking I'm going to pack this up and bring me to Q bring it to QCC tomorrow. Like, it's that good. I am, I'm really digging this game. This is my new hotness. Uh, for last week, this was the best game I played last week by far. Really liking Raiders of the North Sea from... Renegade games. And uh, just as an interesting, there is one more other expansion that's called the North Sea Rune Saga, um, which looks like a, a sort of a very different expansion that, that changes the game uh, significantly about uh, unique rune stones for players to collect. So it's, Okay, I thought that one might be a standalone, because that was yep. the other problem I found. There's a lot of North Sea games, and some are standalone, some are expansions, and i got to admit, it's, I didn't follow along with this when it came out, so I'm a little lost on what exactly what with this game yeah this it's it's listed as an expansion for explorers of the north okay. sea so so i guess there's three out there all right only one more one left uh that is sorcerer there are a lot of people really excited to hear about this game um this one deanna and i tried to figure out while big g her sister and a friend from school were bouncing on trampolines at sky zone i gotta say it wasn't the best place to play board games but it worked um i also had a 12 year old boy bounce over and tell me that i'm his favorite streamer so uh so we have fans that go to sky zone i guess fair enough 
Of course, I was right over my element running games, so I guess it fits. Um, this is the latest, the new hotness from White Wizard Games. Actually came out at Origins, premiered there. They're well known for card-driven dueling games. Uh, they have their roots in Magic the Gathering. Which makes perfect sense because the company was founded by pro circuit Magic players who decided they can make a better game than Magic. Obviously, they haven't exploded the way Magic did, but they do make some really popular games that people love, like Star Realms, Hero Realms, and Epic. Uh, Star Realms being my personal favorite at this point. Now, the latest one they put out is this Sorcerer. People are going nuts for this. Uh, this Rob from White Wizard likes to say that he is adding board game elements to your classic deck dueler, creating a hybrid style of game. So they're calling this a two to four player, but uh, so far the it is overwhelmingly voted as a two player game. Yeah, Don't... I have a feeling. <laughs> I have a feeling on that. Now I've only played it two player. Um, it's obviously an evolution of Magic, so again two player roots, right? Uh, I could see it now. When I did the demo, he explained what the three and four player rules are, and they didn't sound terrible. But I haven't tried it at this point. At this point, all I've tried is one player. So there are definitely some Magic the Gathering roots here. There is some things, but there are some really neat board game elements. Now, at this point, Deanna and I haven't quite finished one full game. So while Big G was playing with her friends, we managed to start two games. The first one we gave up on. Because I don't know if you remember playing Magic for the first time. There's a lot of little fiddly rules and interactions and things in bold that you have to notice. And one of them being this uh, cross swords that meant you could only use that ability on the zone you were fighting in. And we missed that for some important things. So we end up literally just stopping. We're like, whoa. Like, we tried to back up. We're like, wait, no, this, no, that. Oh, forget it. Let's just start over. Uh, second game was going much better. But that's the other thing. Like, Magic can be quick. This is about a 90-minute game, it looks like. Longer when you're learning the game. And, well, we only bought the girls 90 minutes of jump time. So we didn't quite get to finish the game. Though at that point, Deanna had it. Like, there was – she already owned one territory. And the other two, like, one had four health left, one had six. And I barely damaged hers. Uh, the game was pretty much over. So I think I have a fairly good idea of how the game's played at this point. Uh, it's interesting because I see, you know, dice rolling and, play and press your luck is some of the mechanisms mm -hmm. involved in it. And uh, that, that just doesn't necessarily seem like something uh, D's a huge fan of. Yeah, that's true. Then I, again, those are some of the board game elements. Now again, review copy, right? I don't want to say too much. These are just my initial thoughts. I got to say it does seem like it does what they claim it's going to do. It does seem like a hybrid of a board game and a two-player deck dueling game. Now, some of the neat stuff they threw in that I liked. For one, they took something from Smash Up, which I still is is possibly the killer app of this game, where you have a character deck, a lineage deck and a domain deck, and the base game comes with four of each. And to make your grimoire, make your, your deck to play, you pick one character, you pick one lineage, and you pick a domain, and you just shuffle all those cards together. I dig that. I really like the way that was done. Now the other thing those give you is each deck gives you a unique skill for your character. And then they do a whole Numenera thing where if you read the three cards, it gives you your true name, which I thought was kind of cool. I don't remember any of them offhand, so I'm not going to read them off. So that was cool. So they took, like, smash-up mechanics and threw it in there. And then they also turned it into a two out of three game simultaneous. So you have three different battlefields that are going on, 
and it's the first player to win two of the three that wins the game. And when you summon minions, you can summon them to different battlefields. Only four minions can be in each one. And one of your actions can be to move the minions, so that's a very board game element. Plus, you have a token that represents your focus as a sorcerer, and that's the only battlefield you can affect with your skills. So there's some neat elements there that just takes that, that step beyond magic and gives it more of a tactical battlefield feel instead of these are my monsters who are attacking you. Instead, you're battling over those battlegrounds. And to be honest, you can't actually attack the opponent's sorcerer at all. That is not what this game is about. There is no way to directly attack the other player. It's all about battling over these zones with your minions. Interesting. Well, that's, uh, that's quite a few games. Yes, it is. Um, so with Sorcerer, I am looking forward to playing more. Now, what I've seen so far has really impressed me. Now, it's impressed me enough that I volunteered to run a demo night at the CG Realm this month, next month. So that's going to hit on August 10th. So if you're local, and I know, again, we have some local listeners, uh, watch my social media, listen to the podcast for more information. But it's going to be August 10th. It's going to be at CG Realm. It's going to go from 5 to 10 p.m. I am really trying to get White Wizard to throw down some uh, promo cards or something we can give away that night. Uh, the store does have extra copies because I have a feeling this one's going to be popular. This is a really sweet-looking game. Um, I, I'm looking forward to sharing this off with that crowd because that store, the CG Realm, means the card game realm. They have their fair share of Magic players. I'm really hoping the owner will be there, Jeremy, because he was a pro series player at one time, and I think he's interested to see what uh, Rob's done with this game. All righty. So I know you've been busy this whole week. I doubt you got a lot of gaming coming ahead. Uh, for me, though, I am looking forward to QCC. We leave tomorrow morning. Uh, I've got High Plains Samurai game booked, Tales from the Loop, Sentinel Comics. I'm playing Masks with Phil, which I don't know. That's going to be interesting because I guess we're going to prom and aliens are going to attack. And I don't know about playing out prom in high school with superheroes. I missed that it was a prom game. I'm all about masks. Like Playing Young Justice sounds good. Superhero kids on bikes. Superhero kids on bikes at prom i don't know we'll see i trust phil to run a good game though yeah uh, i, I skipped prom i skipped prom for a reason i don't know about uh <laughs> playing it uh. i i did go to prom i will admit went with deanna so we went to prom we danced to one song november rain and then we darted out pretty early um i'm gonna be running gentis and teotihuacan i'm gonna be bringing a bunch of board games with me i am gonna bring sorcerer if people want to check that out and i'm probably gonna bring raiders of the north sea now after really loving that game last week so i i am fairly booked though but if you see me please come up say hi all right, one last thing before we get going. We're running a little long today, though. I know we had a bunch of stuff we had to cut out, so I don't know how bad we actually are. I didn't see a lot going on, but is anything happening in the chat? Uh, well, Dragon Gem finally uh, joined us. Better late oh, than cool. never. And uh, thank you again to anyone who uh, jumped in on that raid and uh, for those of you who may have stuck around. Uh, one thing we want to note is that uh, when it comes to talking about Sorcerer, it is dark. It is 14+. plus. Um, yeah. it is not a kid's game. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, Deanna, if you pointed out the irony of us playing that at Sky Zone, where people are, uh, little kids are around, but I'm like, eh, it's a card game. You can't really see the art from far away. Yeah, it's dark. Like you're, you're not happy sorcerers. It's a Victorian setting, uh, gaslight, no steampunk, some Cthulhu influences, you know, mass murdering demonologists summoning, Deanna's was all about summoning anthropods and spiders and infecting people with them. Uh, my guy was all about uh, committing rituals with hacksaws. So, oh, yeah, dark theme. 
Uh, and so again, in Heart Board Games that rated us, and again, thank you very much for that. Oh, thank you very as much. We, uh, as we move on. Yeah, I gotta follow Heart Board Games. If I can start joining into raids, that could be kind of cool. Give us something to do. And now a quick shout out and a thank you to some of our Patreon backers. Their support helps make this show possible. Brian Kurtz, the, our number one fan, the, uh, what's he call himself now, the tabletop bellhop super fan, which I am perfectly happy with him claiming that title. So thank you, Brian Kurtz. Uh, Uho Rutila, thank you. Duran Barnett, thank you. John Carney, a.k.a. Evil John, thank you. And a big welcome to Wayne, the Star Wars guy, Humfleet, our latest patron and friend of mine who I met in 2014 at Origins, though we talked a lot on G Plus before then. That sounded like a double bell to me, and we feel like we've been here for a while. I think my shift's going to come to an end here. I'm going to have to lock the front doors. Sorry, people. Well, though the doors to the lobby are closed, you can always find us across the web and social media as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. You can also find us on Board Game Geek as guild number 3347. Drop by our website at tabletopbellhop.com for more gaming content. If you like the content we're providing and would like to support our continued efforts, please consider tipping the bellhop at patreon.com forward slash tabletopbellhop. Remember to join us here on Twitch every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern and watch for the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast to hit your podcatchers in YouTube at 2 a.m. Eastern every Tuesday. You can also catch the Bellhop's Tabletop Twitch Friday nights at 8.30, mostly playing Gloomhaven, but now and then we'll surprise you with something else. Though not this week, because I will be at Queen City Conquest. Well, that about wraps up the time we have for the show tonight. For those of you here live, thank you for joining us. Hang around and join us in the penthouse suite for the Off the Books After Show. For Tabletop Bellhop Live, I'm Sean. And I'm Mo. Thank you, and game on.